Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Damien's up this week. What are you bringing to the table today? Yeah. So today we are going to continue our ongoing, it feels like, conversation about Mm -hmm. abolition uh, because I've brought a film to the table um, that actually I shouldn't take any credit for. Aaron found this, but it was great and I stole it. Uh, And it is called Revisions of Abolition from Critical Resistance to a New Way of Life, um, which if you haven't checked it out yet you still can you can find it online at visionsofabolition.org and i would absolutely encourage folks to watch it um, Mm -hmm. especially as a way to learn more about the great organizing efforts and work that has been done over the years by uh, critical resistance which is of course this organization we've talked about here before Mm -hmm. um, and we have a lot of admiration and respect for Um, But, you know, I think one of the things I really loved about this film is that it also highlighted this incredible organization slash reentry program called uh, A New Way of Life, Mm -hmm. uh, which I had never heard of before watching uh, this this film. But uh, this movie really highlighted a new way of life as a model or, or example of an abolitionist alternative to incarceration. Um, and, and throughout the film, we meet lots of formerly incarcerated women who have engaged with and, and currently work with a new way of life and the impact that this reentry program has had on their lives. And it's, and it's been significant. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think for me, like that was just the best and most impactful part of the film, but there was so much to it. There was a lot, uh, jammed into this film and it, it was it was incredible and so i'm definitely looking forward to us talking about it what uh did you think of it my friend where do you want to start yeah i thought uh this was such such a good documentary about mm-hmm. abolition and the variety of ways that pr- the prison industrial complex is failing us yeah uh, Ooh, and yeah. the ways that people are organizing to find alternatives to that that system yeah uh, the first part of the film called Breaking Down the Prison Industrial Complex, um, as you might be able to tell from the title, uh, <laughs> really focuses on some of the context and history of the prison prison industrial complex. Uh, and then the second half of the film is called Abolition, Past, Present, and Future, uh, which goes into some of the history of abolition work and makes connections between historical abolitionist movements, um, like the abolition of enslavement, yep. uh, and some other liberation movements, um, and makes connections between those things and the work of abolishing the prison industrial complex today, yeah. um, and, and sort of making the um, claim Astutely, I think that those things are directly connected and that prison abolition today uh, is the sort of uh, ancestor of, um, not ancestor of, that's the wrong word uh, in the line of, of how things work, but it's the, the descendant, you know, descendant of, go. thank you, uh, the descendant of 
those movements from the past. Absolutely. And it's the unfinished work of those movements of the past. Um, and, you know, as you said, this film kind of revolves around uh, critical resistance, which was born out of a conference back yeah. in the late 90s uh, and then sort of developed from there as an organization with chapters across the country. And I think I didn't know about that piece when I first watched it. I don't I, we talked about critical resistance on the film. But I yeah. don't think I knew that they had chapters. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Until seeing this. Uh, and then, yes, we've, you know, as I said, definitely referenced uh, critical resistance here before specifically uh, they have this really insightful chart about yes. reformist reforms versus abolitionist reforms that yes. we've talked about um, among a few other things I believe um, and all the things that this documentary touched on from personal stories of women who have been in prison uh, to then land at a new way of life to the organizing around abolition and through critical resistance and, and other organizations um, that are have been around for a while and are popping up, continue to pop up uh, around the country, super powerful and yeah. illuminating abolition in some new ways. Um, and I feel like this is a really great entry into ideas around what abolition yeah. can be and also why people are pursuing um, abolition. Uh, you know, I, so I think it's a really great entry into that um, and, and, and great way to start conversations about, um, what abolition can mean and and it really being an educational piece around what abolition is and what it means to people who are on the ground organizing. Yeah, that was sort of, as you were talking, I was thinking about this idea of education. I think it's a great educational yeah. piece, but it's also accessible, right? Like I think mm -hmm. um, like we, we do hear from some really incredible, obviously uh, folks like Angela Davis, the one, the only, uh, but you know, really sort of s some scholar activists too. Um, uh, and obviously folks who particularly who are working with like a new way of life who are formerly incarcerated folks and folks who have been through the uh, prison industrial complex um, sort of, um, you know, your everyday person, if you will, mm -hmm. um, and, and the work that they've done. But it really was educational, but I also think it was uh, super accessible. So um, again, folks, check it out. Um, you know, you you mentioned a new way of life there, and I definitely want to highlight them. I want to talk about them because, you know, the film spent a lot of time highlighting the incredible work that this organization and, as I mentioned, reentry program is doing. Um, mm -hmm. And I was and am astounded by it. Like, I was moved by learning about it and, and hearing the stories of the women who have been a part of it. Um to take a step back and to give a little bit of background, the woman uh, who founded the program is called Susan Burton. That's her name. Mm -hmm. uh, and she, like I said, found a new way of life. And it serves as um, it serves the women in South Los Angeles who are coming home from prison. So that's sort of where it's where the program is based. And they have this one particular program called the Lead Project, uh, which they highlight a lot in this uh, film. Um, and the LEAD project really provides space and community and education and support to formerly incarcerated women. And so that was certainly great to see and, and learn about and see this great program slash project in play. But, you know, it was also incredible to hear from Susan uh, because I think she is just this incredible human being with a, a lot of capacity um, in her heart and spirit and mind and soul and 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 what she's doing. Um, but to sort of learn more about her vision for safety and desire to create better alternatives to the prison industrial complex, right? And and so much of that was born out of her personal experience with going to prison, right? And the conditions that led her there. Um, but you know, I think alongside that, it was also really difficult 
to hear the stories of the women in the lead project, right? Mm -hmm. You know, who were, uh, there were a lot of scenes where they were participating in these like community circles um, and they were talking about their experiences in prison and sort of the dehumanizing and atrocious things that they went through, right? Like their experiences, some of them talked about their experience trying to get medical assistance and care and see doctors and being, you know, chained up as they're, you know, in the middle of a medical exam or, you know, their experiences being mistreated by prison staff, which, you know, that's not a shocker, right? Um, you know, it's one of the women made this incredible connection to um, being processed in to prison mm -hmm. um, and to what her ancestors must have felt like as enslaved folks. Right. And that was yeah. uh, profound. Right. Um, yeah. And, 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 and so it was just really heartbreaking to sort of hear about what their time in prison and the sort of the prison industrial complex has done to them. Right. And so um, I think for me, hands down, I mean, there was so much of this that I loved, but getting to learn about a new way of life and the work that they're doing um, for those women, um, was my favorite part of the film. Mm. Yeah, uh, there were so many stories about the degrading and humiliating mm. nature of jail and prison um, and what they force you to do uh, in the name of safety, yeah. right, uh, of security. Uh, and it, it really shows the violence, I think, that's built into the system, right? Guards in different parts of the system exist to enforce the violence in it, right? Yes. Um, and I think this is a key part of the story for me, <clears throat> excuse me, about abolition is that if we can't find a way to resolve like conflict or so-called crime in a way that doesn't violate the humanity of the folks who have like committed that act, then is that actually justice? Ooh. Right. Or are we just seeking retribution sort of collectively against an individual? Right. And I think this is one of the foundational pieces of why it's, I've, like aligned myself more with a, sort of an abolitionist framework or, or mindset or worldview. Cause we violently violate people who have somehow infringed on our social contract, which says not to violently violate people. Right. So then we've collectively as a society infringed on the social contract we've had with them. Right. So it's retribution, um, which doesn't feel like, justice to me mm -hmm. um anymore um and so i think that that for me feels like a foundational piece of why um i'm like sort of in this abolition camp um yeah i think there's a lot lots more to do and lots more to learn and lots more for me to think about and and work toward um but i like i think that's the sort of one of the foundation like it's it's uh, ethically morally bankrupt um, yeah. the way that we treat people and herd them through and you know to hear that people can say um, that this is likely what my ancestors felt when they yeah, were enslaved right? um, it's just uh, yeah I think like what they, are we doing right, right for um, someone to say that and to feel that yeah and I mean you literally made the the hair on my. Uh, arm stand up when you talked about sort of this idea of you know how, how why is it how is it that we can't find a way to resolve conflict and 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 crime that doesn't violate the humanity of folks like this idea that it is such a violation of people's humanity right and yes. and uh, and our collective humanity as well right like that 
that got me there. Right. Like, and, um, I, I agree with you. Like, I think there's got to be a better way to do this. Right. And I'm in that abolition camp with you. Right. And it is going to take work and time and exploration and thought and, um, you know, exploration of ideas, right. To get there. Um, but to, to hear these stories week in and week out, as we talk about abolition, right. Or, or to read, um, you know, the things that we're reading about it. Um, I I don't, I don't really see another way. So, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And the social contract piece too, right. If that, that's, that's huge too, right. If we're all a part of this social contract and we're all in this together and we're part of this humanity and this isn't it. Right. Cause it's, it's, it's just throwing people away. Ah, yeah, too. Right. Like there's it. Ah. Um, and then we become the worst thing we've ever done, which, you know, I'm not excusing horrific behavior right. of people. Um, I think. But but we aren't that that isn't all who we are. No, um, either. Absolutely. So it's, you know, it, I, I think the other piece of the, this that's appealing to me is that this is complex. Yeah. And it shows our full humanity and the way that the justice, justice, you know, the criminal punishment system works is that we get to say, oh, no, you're a bad person and we're yeah. going to throw you away yeah. with the other bad people and have you sit over there um, and herd you around like cattle and, and mm-hmm. do whatever we need to do with you because this is allowed. Involuntary servitude is allowed uh, based on the 13th Amendment. Yeah. And so, yeah, deal with it. Mm. Um, right. Like that's the easy way out It is. is like, we just throw people away, um, rather than sort of engaging with them and trying to understand what are the conditions in which you committed this yeah. act that, um, maybe was, is reprehensible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's more to the story there. Right. Yeah. And if we have the capacity for, we have the capacity as humans for so much. And we've seen that over the years in our mm-hmm. lifetime in general, right. Um, just in our lifetime in general, I should say. And so why is it that we can't sort of move away from that. I, I appreciate that. Uh, the idea of disposability sort of made me think about why a program like a new way of life is important, right? Because yep. a piece of that disposability also means that when I'm, when you are released from prison, right, then what, right? Like yep. you've already been disposed of and we don't do a good job of taking care of folks when they're out, right? Larry, when we, and we all know those stories. And so that's, that's huge. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could shift us, you know, one of the other things that's been on my mind is, and I, I thought of you as this part was on, right? Like the, there was a part of the film that talked about capitalism yep. and the, the prison industrial complex. And uh, it was sort of fascinating to me because I think there was a lot of really great information that was shared um, that I think it's important for folks to know about. Um, uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who is featured a lot in this film, and she's a co-founder of Critical Resistance. Um, she spent a lot of time in this section talking, and you know, she talked about uh, as one example how, at the time of the film, right, ninety-five percent of all prisons are publicly owned and operated, right? But mm-hmm. you know, but how there are also so many ways that prisons, even the publicly owned ones, make profits, right? Um, and so much of that profit is from the labor of the millions of people in prison, right? And the film talks about um, like the concerns around what constitutes labor in prison, right? How some prisoners are working, but also how so many of them are actually not working. Um, Mm -hmm. How folks are compensated or not compensated in prison for their work and, and so on and so forth, right? So all of that was a fascinating piece of this. I think for me, another key piece of the role of capitalism and how what it plays in all of this is the role that like finance capitalists and corporations have played in in really sort of 
bankrolling these systems, right? And creating money sources for really also our public governments to continue to build prisons. Like she talked about building prison after prison after prison, right? And and that so much of that has often come at the expense of real people and communities, right? Being able to thrive because our public governments, our cities, our states, our towns are investing the money that they're receiving into building and developing prisons as opposed to addressing some of the real economic ills or or, or troubles um, of our communities that we faced over the years or those conditions, right, that we talk about, right? And so... Um, yeah, I, that, that's only a, a snippet of what that section talked about. But I, I think so much of it is important. I think money talks and I think a lot of people are interested in money. And so if this is your way to sort of get into this idea of what abolition is, right? Like if money is your avenue in, right? Like then this, I think this film does a good job in addressing why abolition is an important step for us and a way for us to move forward from an economic standpoint as well. Yeah, I think that this was another piece of the film that was influential. Yeah. Um, because uh, talking about dollars and cents, I think f for me, it's another layer, right? Yeah. Like it's another piece. Um, and so it's important to include it. Um, and, you know, one of the statistics that they included is that it costs between thirty-five dollars and $70,000 to incarcerate a person per year. Mm. Per year. Per year. Um, and so you add that up and what's our collective return on that expense, mm -hmm. right? Not that we should think about this whole thing. I just talked about the ethically bankrupt ways that the system violates people. Yep. Um, and so I'm not ignoring that. But another piece of this puzzle is that we're spending thirty-five dollars to $70,000 per year per incarcerated person. And there's no redemptive value of someone spending time in prison, right? Like there's no actual personal development of the people on side mm -hmm. inside. Yeah. You, you mentioned this, uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore said in the film that the vast majority of people inside are doing nothing, doing nothing, literally nothing. sitting there. Yep. Right. Um, so they're just basically being stored in a facility. Mm. Um, and so we spend all this money and then the punishment continues once people are on the outside, right? Like you referenced this earlier, uh, even, if somebody's a part, one of the rare people who have some kind of role or job or, or oh, function yeah. on the inside yeah. of the prison, um, those may be valuable skills that they learned, quote unquote, right? Like that's the argument we make for states like Maryland to have uh, the Maryland constructional, no, Maryland Correctional Enterprises, yeah. which makes furniture for all of these state entities in Maryland, yep. right? Like that's one of the arguments is like you learn a trade, you build furniture. Um, but that doesn't, those skills don't mean anything but if once outside yep. of prison, hmm. you don't get to apply to jobs or you do get to apply to jobs, but because you have a felony conviction, right? Like it doesn't matter that you learn those skills Absolutely. or we ask people, where'd you learn those skills? <laughs> Because it's part of a job interview. Like, oh, right. talk to me about how you learned how to make furniture. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I learned how to make furniture in prison. It's like, oh, well, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Um, right. Right. So, you know, we're spending so much money per person in ways that we could invest that money differently and try to understand why are people here, yeah. right? Yeah. There's a... um. I think an adage, I think it was Desmond Tutu. I, don't, I saw this recently on the internet um, and didn't put it down on my notes recently. Um, but the adage was something like, we have to stop just pulling people out of the river. We got to go down the river and see why people are falling in. Wow. 
Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that was somewhere on one of these like sites about abolition that we've been, been perusing for resources and, and, um, you know, learning from, um, but yeah, we can't just keep pulling people out of the river. Yeah. Why are people going into the river? Why are people, um, ending up in this criminal punishment system and what is all this money doing to actually address the root issues? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's fascinating too, to think about the, did you say 35 to 70 K that it costs to incarcerate a person each year? I did some digging on a new way of life's website. Cause again, I'm just fascinated by what they do. Right. And they have a beautiful website, a new way of life.org. Um, but they talk about sort of, you know, on their, what you do page, what we do page, excuse me, right. Like talk about their mission, their vision, their results. Right. And the last line of the, our results says we provide these services at less than a third, the cost of incarceration. Yeah. Right. And so when, again, if, if sort of thinking about the money is your way into this, right. Like, what does it mean for us to spend for this one program alone that is serving S South LA, right? A third of the cost. Right. And you know, I, one of the things, and to jump back to Susan Birch and how mm. she's a remarkable person, she walks us through her house and that's oh, where this program yes. started. Uh, right. It's like a, I think a three, three bedroom, bedroom house. Yep. Uh -huh. And so she points at a room as like, well, this is where like when I got started, this is what my room was. I had a desk, a little day bed in there yeah. and a file cabinet and a computer. And that's how I started this whole thing. And then I invited people into my home mm -hmm. and the whole program started from her inviting people into her home who are returning from prison. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she's not starting with a lot of funds or no. funding or, you know, investors. Um, she's just, she just started it. Yeah, because she saw something. She saw a she, need. Yeah. She experienced it herself, right? Yeah. There was a one of the rooms that she, one of the bedrooms that she went into was beautiful. It was like a bureau or a dresser. I don't know. People have different names for that, and uh, it has a mirror on it. And there were pictures of you know women who had stayed there and their children who had stayed there too. And I, uh, yeah, that was incredible to see. But mm -hmm. right, these humble beginnings uh, yeah. for this program, and you know it has taken off. And so, um, I, yeah, I. Susan, if you're listening, we are we are fans. Come talk, yeah. come talk to us. Uh, we'd love to have you. You know, I so the the, the money pieces it was big for me, but you know, I think uh, folks, you all know me, right? This idea that the, this the idea of humanity is also important to me, and so I think one of the other things that is most compelling about why abolition is in so is so necessary right and i think this film highlighted it so well we've alluded to this a little bit right but it's, it's the way that people are treated in prison right like the the, yeah. the treatment of human beings in prisons is just abhorrent right um and you know hearing the stories of the women in a new way of life and and their experiences in prison um that was difficult but it was also horrifying one of the other things this film does is um there are moments where we're were watching images and videos um, from prisons, right? And so it was horrifying to see, you know, these images of real jails and prisons and to see hundreds of human beings, right, of, of black and brown bodies in cages in these small and dirty spaces, um, many of them just completely naked for whatever damn reason, right? Um, and, and so much, you talked, you talked, you said this earlier, like so much hurting of people from place to place and space mm -hmm. to space and, um, and, and all of the abuse that takes place, um, in prison. Um, and I think all of this speaks to 
what we've talked about here before, right, around what the prison industrial complex emerged from, right? So none of that is a surprise to me to see, right? right? But it's still difficult to see it, right? Mm -hmm. And to see it on the screen. And I don't know, I think it was, I think it may have actually been, it was both Angela Davis and then one of the women from A New Way of Life whose name escapes me in this moment. But, you know, they talked about how you just aren't really considered a human being when you're in, in prison, right? And you, and you lose pieces of yourself and your hum and your humanity right when you're in mm -hmm. prison right and that just i don't know that just hurts my soul right and yeah. and uh and and not to mention that this is on top of the film highlighting how how many millions of people are actually a part of the carceral system around the world and and how the united states for whatever gd reason has 25 percent of the world's prisoners locked up here in, a, in america right like yeah. I, I i just don't get it i don't see the the reason for it it, it, it again it hurts my soul to see it um and it's just disturbing on on so many levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, it's all policy choices. These are all yeah. decisions that people made mm -hmm. along the way to get us here. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, I think it's really um, depressing to think about the ways that um, the country that we live in um, degrades and dehumanizes people who are herded around like cattle. Yeah, and uh, so many ways um especially when you think about you know you use the word abuse mm -hmm. um and abuse from prison staff absolutely happens uh in terms of people taking their authority and abusing it yeah. but in a lot of ways they're probably not abusing their authority ah. right like mm. they're following orders and procedures and processes that they're supposed to be following yeah and so the abuse is coming from the system itself mm. um and yeah, I think like some people take that authority and they they meet it out extra harshly. But yep. you know, following the orders of the system generates many of these stories. The system itself is the core of these problems, mm -hmm. and you know, it's the system yes. um, that's creating a lot of this. Um, the the system itself is violent. Um, yeah, and then so one other thing I wanted to to pull out here was. Um, thinking about another piece of the system um, was two thirds of the prison population uh, in the U S are people of color. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was a statistic I think I'd heard before. Um, and yet two thirds of the people who are arrested are white. Oh, right. Um, so yeah. there is this mm -hmm. big discrepancy and I hadn't heard that second part of the, the statistic before. There's this big discrepancy in who makes it through the system and who is sent to prison and who sees some other kind of punishment through the yes. system that isn't necessarily prison. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that's another core piece of this criminal punishment system, how it works. And it ties back to our conversation um, about um, the Equal Justice Initiative, oh, yeah. right, and lynching and how mm -hmm. they move lynching from outside the courthouse to inside the courthouse. Mm -hmm. And so the processes uh, involved followed along so that this discrepancy exists in the way that it does because of that. Yeah, our system, to use uh, the word disposable, right, our system has already determined who is disposable and who is not. Right. right. Um, and so the the system is playing out in the way that it was designed to, right? And it has existed for eternity mm -hmm. to do. So, yeah, that was another piece of this. I think that was early on in the film and sort of someone was laying out all of these statistics, right? And, yeah, that that is another piece of this that hurts the soul to hear and to see and to know exists um, in our in our country. Yep. Absolutely.
All right. Well, I think let's shift over to application if that works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think this film and and what we saw in it is just another example from many things we've brought to the table here where everything is application, right? Like all of this is and has real world applicability because it is about real life. It is about real people. It's about our society, right? And so I think in so many ways, the conversations and the work being done around abolition is life and death, right? Particularly as we think about this disposability, we think about um, what folks can or cannot do when they are released from the criminal punishment system, right? And so I, I, I don't know. I think my thoughts here around uh, application might bleed a bit into my thinking about homework, but I think this film has been such an awesome reminder about the importance of imagination mm-hmm. and creating new systems and structures and programs to support us, right? And so a program like A New Way of Life is a great example of a program that certainly is doing incredible work to support women as they re-enter society from prison. Um, and, and we talked about how Susan started this from these humble beginnings back in 1998, but, but that's just it, right? Like she started it, she did it. And mm-hmm. so what else can we imagine like it in other places across the country? You know, what are other abolitionist reforms and ideas like it that we can, that can lead us to the place where we eventually dismantle the prison industrial complex, right? Like, I think that's the application there. Like, looking at Susan, looking at what she's done from these humble beginnings to create this program that has had such an um, an immeasurable uh, effect on um, these women and their lives and their future. Um, that's one example, and that's a damn good one. So, yeah, what else? Um, yeah, I was thinking along a similar line here. Um, you know, as you said. Uh, a lot of times it's just regular people who see things mm-hmm. aren't working um, like they should be. Yeah. Uh, and so they start something in the image of what they might have needed when they were going through ah, that hard time. Yes. Right. Um, so, you know, it's Susan Burton opening up her house and saying, no, people need more support on return from prison. And then as she goes through her journey of learning more about what prison abolition looks like, you know, it's then thinking about, well, what does it look like for a new way of life to be an alternative to prison? Yes. Right. Like or something like it where, um, you know, people get sent to somewhere and the process is about learning about themselves, yep. learning about uh, who they are, learning about what trauma they might have gone through yep. um, that uh, created conditions for them to do whatever it is that they did. Um Right. And so I think that, yeah, this is this is all application. And I think about the simplicity of somebody seeing something and deciding to start something um, just because they think they can they can do it because they know what they needed yeah. in a moment. Absolutely. Well, and the other sort of powerful piece of that was sort of listening to some of the other women who I think were like the lead interns, right? And yeah. how they were all touched by Susan in some way that, you know, Susan, one of the women talked about how Susan saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, yeah. right? And she yep, believed yep. in me to do this thing. And and so I did it, uh, right? And I'm, so I'm like the power of programs like this, right? Um, and the need for them are... Um, profound. So yeah, absolutely. So that's, so, all right, that's application. Let's now talk a little bit about our homework for the week. Mm-hmm. You know, I think homework for me really comes from just how moved I was clearly, if you can't tell, uh, learning about a new way of life, right? Like this, this program I think has just accomplished so much and, 
and given so much to the folks who've been a part of it. And so um, I think it has so much capacity to be an incredible example of a true abolitionist reform. And so, um, and I mentioned this before, right? Like that program is in South LA. So I think my homework for this week is to look for programs like it that are a little bit closer to home, right? Mm -hmm. To see if uh, there are ways that I can amplify them, right? And promote them, right? If there are ways that I can support them um, because I'm sure there are, uh, and I hope there are other programs like it here in the, in the DMV area. So I think that's going to be my homework for the week. How about you? Yeah. My homework is to look a little more into a couple of books that were mentioned in the film. Oh, okay. Uh, as a way to deepen my own understanding of abolition. So those books were abolition democracy by Angela Davis, uh, um, which is still in print and, and easy ish to access, uh, and abolition now 10 years of strategy and struggle against the prison industrial complex. Um, and that was written by a collection of people at critical resistance. Yes. So I'm adding those two things to my reading list. Um, Abolition Now is available as a PDF. Critical Resistance has it available as a PDF on their website. So you can find it easily just by searching Abolition Now and Critical Resistance. Okay. Um, and, you know, one of the things that actually sticks out to me about both of these books is that they're from 2005 and 2008, respectively. Mm. Um, so they are works that are part of the legacy of abolition scholarship that folks are building on today and in some ways are parts of the puzzle uh, of how we have gotten to talking about abolition today, right? Yeah. Um, they're part of the uh, movement to make abolition a little bit more uh, well-known and to make the sort of facets of abolition a little bit more well-known uh, where something, you know, like the movement for black lives can support abolition and it can be sort of a more publicly acknowledged thing that is um, an idea yes. or a concept or, yeah. or something or an organizing strategy. Right. Um, so these are pieces of that puzzle. I love that. Yeah. Very good. All right. We got some reading to do. I mm -hmm. love it. All right, my friend, you're up next. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I am going to bring a report that was uh, recently released and by recently, I mean, I think in the last couple of days as of this recording. Okay. Um, this was recently released by Color of Change ah. uh, and Little Sis uh, called Police Foundations, a corporate-sponsored threat to, to democracy and black lives. Okay. This report dives into secretive police foundations that fund a lot of aspects of what policing is and what it's become across the U.S. Um, the report is published on and accessible to uh, everybody with an internet connection, uh, on policefoundations.org. Uh, and the website says, Color of Change and Little Sis have compiled the most extensive report to date of the links between police foundations and corporations, identifying over a hundred or over 1,200 corporate, corporate donations or executives serving as board members at 23 of the largest police foundations in the country. So... Um, wow. uh, there's a lot in there. I did a little skimming of it, uh, before bringing it to the table and there, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot, um, to talk about. Wow. All yeah. right. Talk about, we were talking about money earlier today, right? So uh -huh. yeah, we're going to follow some money. Uh, yeah. that sounds fascinating. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. All mm -hmm. right. Uh, all right, folks with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to interdependent study. Uh, you know what we want you to do, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life, follow us on social media, sign up for our email list to get notified of all the things we've got going on. Uh, you don't want to miss it. We thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. 
And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week.